Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Happy first day of playoff baseball, everybody. Sports in general are really keeping everybody well entertained at the moment. Congratulations to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the city of Tampa Bay for their Stanley Cup win the other night. Football has been really exciting through the first few weeks, and I'm really looking forward to a great NBA Finals between two teams picking at the right moment, the LA Lakers and Miami Heat. I don't know many people picking against the Lakers and LeBron James and Anthony Davis at the moment, but I'll probably be rooting more so for the Heat out of spite than anything, just because I'm a jealous Clippers fan. But <laughs> I respect how well both these teams have played, and the storylines in the NBA Finals are just extremely captivating. LeBron against his old team, Lakers trying to do it for Kobe, the Heat and the renewed focus and high-level play in the bubble, Eric Spolstra and his journey from Heat video coordinator to basically the best head coach in the NBA or close to. Every player on the Miami Heat has basically now played better than anybody projected them to. My Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and even Andre Iguodala had a great Eastern Conference Finals. It'll be a fun NBA Finals, and I've had, I think I've had enough time to grieve over my Clippers that I'm just ready to enjoy a great finals, competitive Finals matchup. I'm hoping for seven games. But today's podcast is going to be about playoff baseball. Today is the first slate of games, Tuesday, September 29th. I'm really excited to see how the expanded postseason goes, how the bubble affects game plays after the wild card rounds, and, and which teams outperform or underperform expectations. Postseason baseball is always awesome. And after the wild card rounds, when teams enter their bubbles in, in Texas and California, there won't be any more cold weather baseball, something that's kind of synonymous with October ball. Um, but I think it should ultimately boost the level of play, given that players won't have to worry so much about fighting the elements. For today's podcast, my cousin Mike Vermilli and I previewed the first round matchups, who we like uh, to possibly go all the way in this year's World Series. I hope you enjoy our talk and it helps you get pumped for the MLB postseason. It did for myself. Before I bring Mike on, though, I just wanted to do a quick minute or so take on the Clippers news and the news that Adrian Wojnarowski broke yesterday that they parted ways with their longtime head coach, Doc Rivers. It sounds like Rivers and Clippers owner Steve Ballmer had multiple candid conversations after their second blown 3-1 series lead in the last five years about the team's plans going forward. I think ultimately, this was a good decision for the Clippers to move on from Rivers, unfortunately. Uh, but after his seventh season with the Clip as the Clippers head coach, I can't help but feel somewhat cathartic yet thankful for what Rivers did for the organization and, now, and how he's leaving it behind in a much better state than when he came in. Rivers elegantly navigated the franchise through some of its most challenging years, the Donald Sterling scandals, the Lob City teams with lots of friction in those locker rooms, some challenging playoff losses, you name it. Rivers was dealt a less than ideal hand in Los Angeles, yet he always was willing to be the face of the organization and take on every challenge the franchise faced head on. He spoke so elegantly about the racial injustices issues that the league wanted to shine a light on during the NBA bubble. He was the voice of, for the team during the Donald Sterling's, race, Donald Sterling's racist re remarks in 2014. He was always accountable for the team's struggles and willing to praise his players instead of himself for the team's success. He changed the Clippers into a, a respectable, competitive organization and a free agent destination. The Clippers aren't where they are now without Rivers, and Clippers fans cannot forget that. Don't say good riddance to Doc. Say, thanks for the memories and, hard work you, and the hard work you put in to make this organization what it is today, Doc. Thank you. As for the new coaching search, Wojnarowski mentioned yesterday that the immediate frontrunners may be Ty Lue and Jeff Van Gundy. I like the idea of Lue taking over as head coach, but my only worry is that if there was truly chemistry issues with this year's team, will, hire, will hiring internally fail to put a stop to those issues? 
It's possible that hiring internally with Lou or even Cassell, Sam Cassell or Chauncey Billups will cause the chemistry issues to linger and carry over into the next season. I'm not, I'm not sure how valid that, might, that take might be, but I don't think that possibility can be ignored while the organization contemplates its, its next steps. Personally, I think Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond is the perfect candidate for the team. She'd be the first woman head coach in professional sports history. She's worked with Kawhi Leonard before during his time with the Spurs, and she's worked under one of the best minds in the sport today, Greg Popovich, since 2014. So she's definitely as knowledgeable as and ready to coach her own team as any other candidate on the market right now. I think the Clippers need to ask Kawhi his opinion on bringing in Hammond, and as long as he gives his stamp of approval, that's who I'd hand the keys over to. The good news is that the Clippers are likely the most desirable coaching destination right now, so they should have their pick of the litter out of the available coaching candidates. They're in a win-now mode, so for any coach looking to win a championship as soon as possible, the Clippers have to be the number one choice. I'm looking forward to see where they decide to go with this decision because it should be a decent indication on what kind of style of play they want to have next year and going forward with this franchise. Rivers did all the macro things well for the Clippers organization, but the devil was in the details with him and on in his on-court strategies. The, the differing philosophies of play between Doc and how Bomber, team president, Lawrence Frank, and the rest of the organization want to go with the current roster were definitely the leading reasons as to why the team decided to move on from Rivers. I'm looking forward to seeing what they decide because this looks like the start of a new era of Clippers basketball. All right. Thanks for listening. Now go follow All Things Analysis on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Email us at allthingsanalysis.com. Please also subscribe to Vicious Talk on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and now Spotify. I'm excited to say now we have Vicious Talk on Spotify, my favorite platform really to listen to podcasts and music. I like how they let you listen to your podcast at faster speeds. I usually do 1.2 times, but you could even go up to three times as fast. And it sounds like I've had about six cups of coffee. All right. Now, here's Mike Vermilia and some fun analysis on the 2020 MLB postseason. All right. Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. I got a good guest today. Decided to talk a little bit of baseball. I haven't been able to really um, in this first few episodes of the reboot here on the podcast, but I'm excited to bring on my cousin, Michael Vermilia. Mike, how's it going, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's good to see you today. I'm, I'm, <laughs> me and Mike are, are meeting in person today. One of the few in-person interviews we've been able to do so far. Um, excited to talk some baseball, though, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Especially, like, yeah, heading into the postseason after today. Yeah, today's the last day of the regular season, Sunday, um, the, what's today's date, 27th? Yeah, September 27th, last regular season games, um, the only postseason implications going into today um, is the NL, on the NL side, um, you got a battle between the Brewers, Cardinals, Phillies, and Giants, um, the Phillies and Giants are on the outside looking in with the, the Brewers and Cardinals um, and the five and eight seeds respectively, um, sorry, the Brewers are eight, Cardinals are five. Um, but it's been a good season. Um, exciting to see some new teams and fresh faces in the playoffs. And so Mike and I are going to go through what the bracket looks like. If the season ended today, uh, we'll discuss some possibilities if the Phillies or Giants sneak in over the, the cards and brews brew crew. Um, but Mike, you're, let's start with your team because I, I you're, you're a big Dodger fan and it's, and it's been what, five or six years running now where the Dodgers are just 
the best team in the regular season. Are you trusting? Do you think there's something different about this year's team? The, the Dodgers rolling in the one seat at 42 wins already on the season. Uh, I mean, obviously, like the addition of Mookie Betts. Oh, I love Mookie. Um, yeah, I can't believe the Red Sox just let him slip like that. But, uh, <laughs> I, we pretty much got him for nothing. But I mean, uh, he's been a huge addition for the team. Obviously, mm-hmm. you can see in the numbers, probably a contender for the National League MVP. Uh, I don't see Tatis getting it, but it's I going to Freeman. I, I, well, yeah, Freeman. Yeah, I hope it goes to Freeman because I feel like he's. I mean, every like you said, I, I'm pretty sure I've talked to you about it or like on the. Uh, text that we have uh, yeah freeman's probably one of the underrated players freeman's, freeman's 31 years old so he's like he's not young it, right. it feels like he hasn't been around the league like that long you know what i mean right and uh he doesn't get the recognition he's due he he's due for a, a good award like this i mean right. he's put up great seasons he never has bad seasons he's one of those guys that just kind of flies under the radar because throughout the i mean it kind of his it's not his fault the the, the breaks have been a good team throughout his his career there really so right. He really gets overshadowed by some of the, the other superstar players that the Braves have had, like Acuna. Um, he's, not fla- they have. he's not flashy. Yeah. Not flashy, so. so he he kind of flies under the radar and, and isn't like one of those yeah flashy superstars. And um, I think I mean I'm just really rooting for him to kind of get his due here this year. But uh, yeah, to bring it back to the Dodgers, um, I mean our rotation is looking good. Kershaw pitching like like his young self. Uh, Bueller pitching good, and then May Gonslin coming out of nowhere. Not May, like not coming out of nowhere, but Gonslin taking over. Dude, Gonslin, my dad, he, my dad was like, dude, Gonslin would be the Angels' ace. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, he he might not be better than Bundy or Heaney as a pitcher, but I mean, he has better stuff. Right, true. And then the Angels probably would have accepted. I mean, uh, who's who's the GM for the Angels? I forgot. Epler, but Epler. it's his last season. They're saying I, that he's going to leave. <laughs> He, they're saying it, actually they've been linked to uh, Dave Dombrowski. Oh, okay. Yeah, the one guy, the guy who was at the Tigers and the Red Sox, and he's he's with nobody right now. So um, the theory is that Dombrowski is going to the Angels, which would be pretty interesting. Yeah. So the rotation's looking good, lineups looking superb. So I mean, the Dodgers, uh, the only team, because I, I talked to this a few with my friends, uh, who the Dodgers want to play in the wild card spot. And the team I didn't want to play were uh, the Marlins. Really? Their, their rotation, I mean, right. with Sixto Sanchez kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, Dude, Sixto is nasty. Yeah, he, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, he is. Does he, does he have the best stuff in the postseason? Going in, at any teams in the postseason? I mean, I've seen he's compared to, like, Pedro Martinez. Right? I saw that on MLB yeah, Network. Like, Pedro was like, I don't want to of myself. I mean, that changeup is Pedro-esque. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Pedro-like. best pitch. It's his strikeout pitch. Um, and I don't want to face that. Yeah. And then with uh, Sandy Alcantara. Oh, Alcantara. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to Alcantara? face him either. Yeah. Um, and the Reds. The Reds, I do not want to face either. Marlins and the Reds. Yeah, the teams. Reds have three great starters in Sonny Gray, Trevor Bauer, and Luis Castillo. Yeah, that's, that's, that's three Like in a three-game series, like now. Nah, and the bullpen solid for the Reds. Exactly. They got... Archie Bradley and Glacius in the eight and nine innings, and then they have uh, Amir Garrett. They have some good pitchers, Lorenzen. That's just a scary like pitching rotation right there. Yeah. Don't. Did you don't see Votto's interview the other day? He was like, "We're a bad fucking team," <laughs> <laughs> and, and they know it. Like it's so, a crack up. Yeah. So the Dodgers are potentially staring at a Milwaukee Brewers matchup in the first round. Are you, are you nervous at all? Because really, the threat of an upset 
is drastically greater in these first rounds because it's yeah. best out of three. It's possible for sure. You, uh, I, I kind of am because I mean I was just, I talked to this with my friends or family. It's like three game series, anything can happen. Right. Uh, you don't have the longevity of. A five I do game, like. I do series. love a three game series format a lot more than the one game. Oh the, no! Yeah. The one game is awesome. Like it's super exciting. But it's not it's not like real true, like the best team wins baseball. You know what I mean? Like right. there could be a sneaky team that like that just beats the better team, you totally. know. So in a wild card game where it's just one game, really just the, the smallest mistakes could just re- just really just cr- crash your season. You'll yeah. crash and burn it in you, one game. And one error, one slip up. Like it's just one game. Yeah. So I do like the thought that you get three games. The if the if the best team loses the first game, game two is just like it's basically a game seven or I mean, it's an elimination game. So game three is if there's a game three in any of these series, I mean, it's going to be super exciting too. So yeah. I, I don't know. I just think the three game format's pretty fun and I'm looking forward to kind of seeing that because really there's never been any, any postseason matchups that are just three games. I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, it's like a regular season series. Right. So interesting. Um, all right. With the Brewers, I'm a little bit, I don't know. I, I definitely would never pick the Brewers to beat the Dodgers, especially with Yelich out. But but Yelich, Yelich well, not out. Sorry, Yelich acting oh, like just. Oh, okay. I mean, Yelich in my head, he's out. I said that because in my head, he's like, right. He should play like crap. He is. Yeah. And um, I actually picked. I actually picked him. Me, my two friends. We did like a little. Uh, a snake draft of like all the categories of like awards season, yeah, basically. awards and stuff like that. So we had a snake draft, and I actually picked Yelich as my like guy. But you know, last year not <laughs> last year I did that for myself, and um, I was a year too early. I picked Freeman as my MVP mm. last year because I just like the, the it made sense. The same logic I, I had last year made sense for this year, where the Braves are one of the best teams in the NL. They're the two seed going into the playoffs. And the MVP will almost always come, almost always. I mean, Trout's the exception, really, but almost always come from one of the better teams in the in the regular season. Um, usually, a team with the high seed in the regular season um, going into the playoffs. And Freeman just really fits the mold of a guy who's just super consistent and um, is on a great contending team. And um, I didn't want to pick any Dodgers because I thought the Dodgers are so stacked that they kind of cancel each other out sometimes like Bellinger. And I know Bellinger's had a down year, but Betts is really their guy this year. But so I, my thought was that Bellinger and Betts would maybe cancel each other out, steal each other's votes, but that didn't really end up happening. But Freeman ended up just having an awesome year. And a lot of people were on Acuna as the MVP and rightfully so. I mean, Acuna's awesome, but I just thought that it was pretty cool that the, Bra- the Braves fans really just, I mean, I feel like they we're rooting for Freddie to this year. Oh yeah, totally. so I think it was a good story. But with your with your Yelich pick, dude, you weren't you weren't. I mean, people were on Yelich this year. I mean, like people were like, you weren't the only one that was picking him to repeat yeah, as MVP. Yeah. Nobody saw this coming, and I think it's really he's one of the guys. I mean, there's a handful of guys that have been like this. I mean, on the Cubs side, you got Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, and even Rizzo to an extent playing all like this where. There's these superstar players that are not reaching their what their expected output this season, and it's it's odd. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it's been a weird season. Either, it's either the way. sixty games. I think it's the short. Right. It's the short sample. Yeah, these guys know they don't. Not only do they not have uh, time to come out of a slump, but they know it, and that makes a big difference in a baseball player's head. You know what I mean? Like, right. if a guy know is if a guy's struggling in July. He knows that he has two and a half months, two, two, two to three months 
to come out of it. He knows he has 100, 200, 300 at-bats more to work on things, to address issues, maybe look at some tape, what's not working, what's working. In a 60-game season, it's so abbreviated. It's a sprint. You don't have time to fix things. Like, you don't have time. It's like if you go back to the drawing board on your swing, you you don't have – 100 at-bats to play with to like try to experiment with things you know what i mean so the adjustment periods are just so abbreviated the, the fact that the guys know it i think has affected some of their uh, the mental side of, of what their their swings are yeah i mean the whole the whole uh like spring training and then it got canceled and then knowing like all right now we're getting quarantined for like two three months so like baseball had to put it like a huge pause yeah and i'm and sure the huge season i'm sure the workout um, I mean, that kind of like ruins your like your routine, you know. Uh, I'm sure some guys are working out harder than others. Oh, though. I'm sure, I'm sure. So, but you're just not you're not seeing live pitching for like three months when these. I mean, when you're getting ready for like the regular season in spring training, and then all of a sudden it comes to a halt. Um, but then I think didn't the MLB they got rid of in game like video? Yeah, like they, you. So can't, you can't, can't watch back. you can't watch video from the same game you're in. Right. But you could watch video from right previous which also has an effect because i mean i think i was reading something about jd martinez who is just a god he's just when he bats he's yeah just, another guy yeah he's, down he's having also another stomp and he i think he was saying i read something where he uh he doesn't have that luxury of using the end game like video of critiquing your at bats or what he should work on um on like the pitchers he's i know that jd is one of the biggest users of video scouting oh yeah he analyzes his own swing like uh, he's talked about it he uses it all the time and he really trusts his mechanics and so he he brought up the point where like if he um is struggling he looks at his game tapes from old because he knows that like he's not going to change his swing is he's already had success in the big leagues having this particular type of swing so he looks for how he's changed and why he's struggling so yeah, I mean, J.D. and other one of those guys that could be potentially struggling from some of the unique circumstances of the 60-game season and the limitations on video scouting and right. being able to use in-game video to address adjustments and pitching. I mean, starting pitchers who I'm sure that a lot of guys were looking at how pitchers were looking in-game. So, like, a starting in, a starter in the fifth or sixth inning was probably getting – videos you know what i mean they were right. probably looking at him in the dugout like what's he doing today is he tipping pitches you know so some of that stuff is also like some of the regular fans don't really see that i mean they don't really know this notice those kinds of subtleties but it does happen yeah and um i don't know it'll be interesting to see when major league baseball goes back to the larger 162 game season if they kind of keep some of these rule changes with uh, I particularly hate the second base, the guy starting at second base in the extra innings. I hate that. Um, I wonder if they'll continue to limit mound visits, making guys uh, pitch to three batters, the video surveillance thing. I don't know. It's There's a lot of rule changes that were implemented this season that they're going to have to negotiate to either bring back or not next year. Yeah. It's just used for an experiment. Mm-hmm. Like, Especially with the short of a season and weird season, um, I feel like I feel like it was a kind of appropriate to put these new like rule changes in just to see. It was uh, a good, yeah, and like a test. I was almost like I wrote I, I wrote an article um, a couple weeks ago about uh, automated umpires and the potential of bringing them to the big leagues, and I was almost a, a fan of trying to test that out this year just because of 
It's only 60 games. You know right, I mean? yeah. That would be another, like, experiment. And my thought was, like, maybe they didn't even have to have the umpire standing behind the catcher so that they could limit um, human contact per- during the pandemic. That was my initial thought. Um, but after doing a lot of research, I just, like, I just can't see an automated zone coming to the big leagues because of the potential st- strategic implications it would have. Right. It would just, it would change so many different things in the game, like pitch framing, uh, crafty pitchers who work the zone, not necessarily relying on high velocity and and nasty breaking stuff. They have guys who nibble and, and expand the zone slowly and tempt an umpire to call a pitch a couple inches off the plate a strike. Um, that's a, a skill. That's that's a measurable skill in today's game. And those types of players and those types of strategies and and ways to differentiate and find value um, for players and teams would be just drastically altered. So I just can't see that happening. Um, but I don't know. Baseball is really looking at these kinds of things and they're showing it. These, these just major changes that try to better their game. And I, do you think it's, do you, do you like the product this season? Do you like these, some of these changes they're, they're doing? We're all, baseball is trying to like expand like its market. To yeah. Like exactly. Younger viewers right now. Cause I feel like, I mean, me and you we're we're young, but I mean, and we grew up in like a baseball held family. So, uh, we're always like surrounded by baseball since we were young, but uh, a lot of the younger generation are not like pulled in by baseball. This like very traditional, uh, like non like modern day sport. Like football takes over. Basketball has like great marketing, uh, so it's like baseball is trying to like speed the game up and trying to make the game more appealing and fun to the younger generation, but. Um, I don't know with baseball being so like traditional. It's traditional. It's a conservative. It's almost a Republican. Right. No, right. It's but it doesn't seem that way though. Like, right. I don't, it's. I, that, I was just talking to this. Uh, I think it was with my dad. Like, what would baseball be under? Like in like a political type like genre or whatever I, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, if you want to call the NBA progressive, right. which you can. I think that comparatively, MLB would be conservative. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So, I don't know. These changes are going to be hard, but I think whatever is going to keep this sport alive, I mean, I feel like you got to do what you got to do, but it, you first have to collect like results, data. I, the one see. thing that I, I like in theory, but I don't like in practice a little bit is the pace of play. And the thought of just like some of the major changes they're making to try to address that issue, the pace of play, uh, the limiting the mound visits, the making pitchers throw to at least three batters or to reach an end of an inning. Um, those types of things, like uh, they don't make that big of a difference in right. the pace of play. They don't. And I don't, it's the stats aren't showing that big of a drop in, in average game times. And I think that, Really, I mean, I, honestly, the the putting runner on second base that's going to address pace of play. I mean, that's right. going to that's going to eliminate extra innings. I mean, that's going to take some of the innings off of an extra inning ball game. But I don't know. But I see, just, yeah, I I, t- I totally agree. Like baseball is just obviously there's no time. There's no time limit. It's not like football where you have four quarters and then you have 15 minutes in each quarter. Or basketball, mm-hmm. you have it's like 15 in each quarter, or 12, 12, 12, 12 in yeah. each quarter. So like baseball is a very timeless sport. And like, that's just, that's the beauty of it. It's exactly. just, there's no time to it. It's like that, I, this pitcher, this great pitcher versus like this great batter. And then it's like, who's going to come out with this great outcome. It's a weird, it's a weird push and pull ebb and flow to baseball where 
they're trying to bring in new viewers, trying to bring in youthful fans, but they also aren't necessarily catering to their already existing fans. The people who are a little bit more on the traditional side who don't really like these progressive changes that they're making, they're not necessarily catering to their fan base. They're catering to the potential fan base, which is a dangerous game to get into. Because right. you, 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 I mean, baseball has already seen some loss in, in following over the last few years, especially with the Astros cheating scandal. Uh, that was major issues they hit in the league. I mean, that was just the crazy, crazy scandal. But I don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> but all right, let's talk about some postseason more. Yeah. So, so the Dodgers, uh, Dodgers over Brew Crew. You're crazy I if you mean, pick the Brew Crew, but yeah, the Brewers are are not to be trifled with from a bullpen perspective. That's the major thing because right. Brewers could. They already showed it the other day. They 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 brought in Devin Williams, who probably is the best pitcher in baseball right now, the best relief pitcher. That changeup, we, we want to talk about Sixto Sanchez's changeup. That Devin Williams one is, have you seen him pitch? Oh my God, dude. Disgusting. <laughs> he throws like 100 miles an hour and his changeup's like 88 and it just drops. It breaks. It's, it's like a Pedro Martinez drop off the table type of changeup. <laughs> it's it's disgusting. And so Devin Williams can come in like in the fifth inning, like an Andrew Miller type. Remember when he was with the Indians yeah, and just right. was shortening postseason games. And Hater could go two innings as well. So that one-two combo is not to be trifled with. And so the Dodgers strategically are going to be definitely looking to attack early. They're going to be scoring. They're going to be trying to score in the first three innings and they're going to try to score first. And we'll see if it works because in a three game series, like we said, the Brewers are, aren't, aren't to be trifled with. So with that said, let's talk about the next matchup. The, the Cardinals and the, and the Padres at the four and five spot. That's a great matchup. What do you think about, what do you mean the Padres coming in that, that two spot in the NOS. Are, are you threatened about? Are you threatened by them? Are they the future of the NOS? Honestly, yeah, I, I kind of uh, Their rotation is like they're like low key good. Like, I mean, with Clevenger's out though. That's the thing. Oh, Clevenger's out. Yeah, he hurt his biceps. I don't know if he's. I don't know. I haven't seen any updates on him. But the guy I'm most impressed by is Zach Davies. That man kind of just like. I mean, I think he's in his like fourth, mm-hmm. fifth season, and he he pitched. I think his first few, like first two seasons with the Brewers, he was like, kind of just like didn't have velocity, but just had like location command. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his recent, his last season with the Brewers, he was just he was just unhittable. Like his, I don't know, his stuff was just Davies has perfect, looked good this year. For good sure. command, and then goes to the Padres, and then does the same thing, very consistent. That trade and that the Padres made at the Brewers last offseason was. Probably the best of the offseason besides the oh, Mookie yeah. Betts. Yeah, besides picking, the Mookie Betts one, obviously. Yeah, hundred percent. Picking up Davies and, and Grisham. Grisham. Yeah, they that, traded Urias and Matt Lauer. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Matt Lauer, I think how many starts he didn't. Even, I don't even think. I think he came out of the bullpen this yeah, year. I don't think I, he was starting. Yeah, and so. Urias uh, was their second. Was the Padres' second baseman? He was the main get for the Brewers, and he, I don't. I, I haven't really heard much out of him this year. I don't think he's having that great of a year. So yeah, so I like all the Padres moves, even with the Clevenger move. They're they're and, and you know definitely. Do, do you know that they had probably the, the best trade over the last decade, or besides the Mookie Betts, honestly, they uh, traded James Shields for Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they, they, and they, they they traded the the White Sox had Fernando Tatis Jr. Imagine if he was in that lineup. Oh, yeah. They're already so good this Anderson, year. We haven't talked about them yet. Tatis, yeah, that would be insane. Yeah. Brave. Oh yeah, that would be. They bad. traded James Shields. Remember that? How bad that signing felt? Yeah, he, in San Diego. They gave him a lot of money. Um, they brought in Hosmer and James Shields, and they spent a lot of this money. And then I think they brought Jay up and Will Myers and Craig Kimbrell. Remember that? And 
that that team didn't work out. And they, but man, what what a great pivot that was with right. uh, going from James Shields to probably the best young shortstop to come up through the game. Right. And it was just, it was very, because uh, of this whole COVID season, um, we weren't sure which teams would make like the biggest moves because in such a short season, why like make like a push, you know, for a World Series? Like um, it just doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense because like it could be risky, but with the, <clears throat> with the Padres and what they're, what they're doing right now, I feel like the push for Clevenger was like they're in, they're in a win now mode. Mm-hmm. So and then I can see them continuing this trend like in the next. Yeah, they have the they have the seasons. fortunate position of being able to go into win now mode as well as investing in their future and having a young talented roster. Right. I mean, they have so many young good players. That Grisham Tatis Jr. combination is probably going to be one and two at the top of their lineup for a long time. And Cronenworth, who's probably going to win NL Rookie of the oh. Year or come close to. I know he kind of had a, a, a soft uh, week last month of the season about, but man, he was pretty hot there for a while early on in the in the regular season. And then even if he's not hot at the plate, his defense, or he plays multiple positions and is very athletic. So I don't know. I like him a lot. The San Diego Padres are going to be a team not to be, they're not going to be messing around for years to come. Yeah. They got, they got to be feeling really good about their players right now. Really, really good. Mm. And the Dodgers, like, I know, I know me personally, like I'm, I'm like afraid, you know, like these guys are, these guys are playing hot right now. So I would not want to, would not want to mess with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see Padres. I see them taking this. Yeah. Easy. Um, Cubs, Marlins. You said the Marlins are a scary team. The, the Cubs are a great Cubs, team. Too, so yeah, this is a good, this might be one of the, the closest matchups of the first round. Right. I can see, yeah, I can see this going up to game three. Yeah. This is a tough one. I mean, I love Sixto and Alcantara, like you said. Um, Cubs are going to really need Baez and Bryant to just fucking get their shit together. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, I do not like Baez at all. Like that man, just he's just a he's just a walking strikeout, pretty much. Like, he just walks up to the plate and then, dude, dude yeah. <laughs> the something has to be said about how hard he swings every time, because. Right. It works when it's working, and then it looks like this when it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy's hitting, I think, below 200. He's just had a terrible season. I'm sure he's batting, like, under 100. Right he, did get a, he did get a lefty double yesterday. Did you see that? He was hitting left-handed. He does that every once in a while. He's now – well, that was only the second time he's done it. Wait, he struck like, out the first time. He, 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 he likes switch, to switch hit switch. Yeah, when he's messing around. Uh, so okay. they were up by a lot. And um, he went up left hand and hit a double into the gap. Wow! <laughs> but you're right. the The fact that Baez just swings out of his ass every time is it's catching up to him a little bit. I think that pitchers are starting to figure out how they can get him out, and he's starting to get himself out chasing a lot of pitches. And right, he does hit moon shots. Like I'll give him that. Like he'll just hit. Oh yeah. He'll just hit piss missiles to the moon. But like that man. It, uh, he just he just swings right out of his shoes, man. The, Mar- the Marlins, though, man, I want to root for them in this because oh, they're just a fun them. team. I mean, they they, the first <laughs> first postseason appearance since two thousand and three. Who would have expected the Marlins to make this? I, right? I didn't. I especially the Giants too. Like the Marlins and Giants, like what the heck? Like yeah, I would have never expected and these my, two teams to contend. My brother had a friend in high school who's on the Marlins. Uh, I knew him too. Oh, uh, Cooper, Cooper, Garrett Cooper. Playing pretty well. Yeah, he is. He is. So I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull from the Marlins a little bit in this one, but I think it's a close matchup. I think it could really go either way. It's gonna depend on I think whether or not the Cubs bats show up. Yeah, if they show up, uh, the Cubs will take it because their rotation's hot right now too. Mm-hmm. So Darvish is 
He was, he was looking like the match. NL Cy Young until Bauer made that la- that late push. Yeah. The last matchup in the NL, the Atlanta Braves versus the Reds. You already talked about how sneaky talented the Reds could be. I can um, I can see the Reds taking this one. This is another one that's two just really high caliber teams hitting their I think they're both hitting their peaks right at this moment. They're both playing very, very good baseball at this at this time. So I'm excited for this matchup for sure. The Reds pitching is just not to be messed with. Bauer. Luis Castillo, Sonny Gray, and then the bullpen, Iglesias, Bradley, Lorenzen. Man, it's just... It's sacked. Yeah. Bauer, scary. Ba- Bauer, future angel. Dude, don't tease me. Don't, don't. Just stop. Stop right there. Don't tease me. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but, dude, the I'm Braves. Sorry, the Braves have a lack of pitching. I mean, their ace coming into the year, Soroka, tore his Achilles tendon. Um, they're really relying on Ian Anderson. And or fried free, yeah. Max Freed, he went to uh Harvard Westlake. He's actually my age. My, my buddies faced him. Uh, man, can you imagine that high school lineup? Did you know that Freed, Giolito, and Jack Flaherty were all in the same high school pitching That's, rotation? Can you imagine? I can't believe like who would face like the other team that would face those guys, right? Oh my god, that would be crazy. <laughs> that would be it. oh my god. That big league rotation would look ridiculous, oh, no, let alone yeah. in high school. No, yeah. So Max Free will probably go game one for them. So they got Max Free, Ian Anderson, and then you got Hamels, who's on the IL, probably not going to pitch at all anymore. Tomlin, Josh Tomlin. Dude, that guy's been on like, what, 10, 15 different man, teams? Yeah. Kyle Wright? I don't know. And then Bryce Wilson's pitching for them today in their last game of the season. Wait, so. Bryce Wilson, like the fear of the beard? Uh, no, 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 that's a uh, Brian Wilson. Brian Wilson, oh, shit. yeah, he's a <laughs> Brian Wilson. Dude, that guy was a character, yeah. But so for this one, I, I can see, I mean, if I can see either team taking it, if the Braves take it, I I don't see them going really far like, just because that pitching pushing for the NLCS, yeah, for the pitching, it's it's pretty gruesome. But uh, any team can win here, I'm sure it's probably gonna go to game three. If you had to take one team out of the NL. Give me, give me one team and then give me one B out of the NL going to the World like, Series. Like one, two? Like, yeah. To the like, NLCS? Yeah, or? give me that. Ooh. Obviously, I got to take the Dodgers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're crazy if you're not. But uh, they're, I do, don't, it's not going to be the Padres because they're going to face each other in the right, second round if they right. both win. See, that's tough. Oh, man. But it's a five-game series, right? And second, Yeah, I think this, the NLDS is a five-game series. Okay. Yeah, so I can see the Dodgers taking that. It's going to be... That's gonna probably be, uh, that's gonna be a great matchup. It's like, it's like fight for the West, you know. Right. So uh, obviously, it, it, I wish that they would have had these games in L.A. or San Diego in the NFL. I don't know. Yeah. I, why are they doing it in Texas? I don't understand that. You know, I think oh, the biasy, the biasy. I think yeah. is uh, like the home field. And yeah. Stuff. But uh, but so yeah, the Dodgers, and then I take the Reds because I don't I don't see the Braves going. That's a tough one, huh? Yeah. The NLCS would be interesting out of those four. I don't know. I, I don't see how you can pick anybody I besides think, the Dodgers. I think of the Dodgers, because the Padres will advance. If we can get past the Padres, we're going to the World Series. Yeah. I can't see any other team like the Reds. Especially or, because the NLCS is a seven-game series where right. the best team usually wins. You could you could afford to lose even up to three games and still, right. still pull that one out. So I do love the Dodgers this postseason. I think that, weirdly, the... The way that this odd season has been playing out has kind of played into their favor, um, just in some ways that their team is just peaking at the right moment. They're playing so well right now. And, um, the fact that they have some young pitchers and um, have been 
steering their team more towards the youthful side of the last few years. They've just been, I don't know. I think that this team, if they don't win it this year, dude, Dodger fans are in a riot. <laughs> so that's another thing to consider. Dude, the Dodger fans, I just got to say, Dodger fans are freaking, I mean, dude, we're, I just got to say these. So the, emotional. Like, very emotional. Like, <laughs> Kenley Jensen, let me just, Kenley Jensen has been pitching really good up until the point, I think, when we were facing, man, I don't even know who we were facing, but he had a, he had a very, uh, kind of like bad game, like a, just a bad, uh, save chance and just, he blew it, blew the game. And then he was facing the Astros and he gave up five runs and the whole Dodger fan base is just exploding. Like, Oh, like who's going to close for us. Can we like believe in this guy? Like, is he our guy like putting in the ninth? And yes, he is like, he, he had those two, like, you think, games, a, you think Roberts is considering Trinan in the ninth? I mean, yeah, I, 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 Trinan was a closer with the A's last year, right? Or he uh, was like a setup ago. man. He was like the best closer in baseball like two right. years ago. So I can, I can see him going into the ninth, but I mean, we can't fret. Like Jansen, he's, he's just our guy. He's going to be in our bullpen. He's either going to be set up or he's going to close. So it's like he, he has bad days, but if you look at like his overall, like this season, his overall stats, I feel like he, those, Two games blew up his ERA and WHIP, so we can't really be afraid of what Jensen is capable of. Like I'm sure he he was just those two mistakes he had. Yeah, that sucks. He looked bad, but he's he'll he'll come back. Like we, Dodger fans, man, <laughs> so so freaking like. Yeah, dude, I feel you. I I I would trust Kenley. And one thing, uh, the main reason why you can't. So Kenley and Kershaw are kind of in the same boat where. They both have shown some struggles in the postseason in their past. And the reason why I think you just still have to stick with them and hope and hope and know that better days are coming for both of them in the postseason. And it, the reason why I feel that way is that Kershaw and Jansen are two guys that just want the baseball. They want to pitch in the biggest moments. And there's something to be said about that. Like they're just gamers. And if they're going to struggle, they're going to struggle, I guess. But I don't know. They're going to, they're going to be given it. They're not going to be afraid of the moment. You know what I mean? They're going to be getting guys out or getting, getting hit with their best stuff. They're going to be, they're going to be throwing their best stuff and whether or not the other teams hit it remains to be seen. But I just, I think that both players will, will come to play both Kershaw and Jansen will come to play hard this postseason. Um, I just, dude, I'm rooting for that Kershaw postseason performance that just vaults him to like the greatest pitcher of all time conversation. Trust me, Ben. I, I'm with you. All right, Mike, let's talk about the AL playoff matchups. We're actually, Mike and I have to re-record this part of the podcast because we ended up talking about the matchups before they were finalized on Sunday. And uh, there was a, a little bit of a shuffle around on Sunday after the games on, on the last day of the regular season. Um, but Mike and I are going to talk about the AO wild card round matchups. Now um, the best out of three series uh, games are actually going on right now but we'll catch everybody um, as the playoffs are kind of rolling um, the next couple of days. So Mike, let's dive into the first matchup, Tampa Bay versus the blue Jays uh, Rays versus blue Jays, an AL East matchup. Kind of a good one. I thought, I mean, the blue Jays have a great lineup and I mean, obviously the Rays are the one C with I think 40 plus wins. What do you think about this matchup? Uh, obviously the Rays rotations good with snail Morton glass. Now, and then they're both now more in games one, two, and three. That's the right. So uh, that's a pretty solid rotation in a three game series. And then they're bullpen with Anderson and, uh, 
Castillo. Yeah. And yeah, their bullpen's pretty stacked. So, uh, I mean, I see them taking this series pretty much two games out of the three. They should. Yeah. They should uh, probably sweep them. Uh, yeah, that's, the only, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, the only Blue Jays argument is they're young and exciting. And when you have a young, exciting team, and a lot of these guys are going to their first postseason, there's a possibility that they could all just catch fire. That lineup is pretty vicious. I mean, you got Bichette, who I just really, really like, and Vladigro Jr., who I'm looking forward to it, making his first him making his first postseason appearance. Kevin Biggio, Gurriel Jr. It's a good lineup. So that's my excited. Yeah, very exciting lineup. So if they could hit, which I I doubt against that Rays pitching staff, just because what well, we already talked about how stacked that that rotation can be. Um, but I don't know. I, the Blue Jays are an exciting team, but I just think they're a little early. So I'll, this will probably be right. their first. This this will be their their first cup of coffee in there, and we'll definitely be seeing them in back back in the postseason over the next few years um, with that young core they have. But yeah, they're they're a little early right now. Yeah, we could even yeah we could even see like Yarbrough probably if if the Rays are up relief guy. Yeah, like if the Rays are up in game two, he'll probably get thrown in. Like because I'm is- sure. Yarbrough's not a guy who's unfamiliar with um, openers as well. So you're right. right. He could come out of the bullpen because he, they do sometimes use openers for him. Yeah. So, I, I mean, their rotations just, it's unmatched with the like blue Jays offense. So one um, thing that I thought the blue Jays were doing that was kind of interesting is they're throwing Matt Shoemaker with game one, who isn't their ace. Their ace is right. Ryu, engine Ryu. Uh, one of your former Dodger guys, but um, he's Ryu's going game two and he's going to be their ace. And so I think I'm, I'm, we're seeing that some of the modern analytic teams that got the teams that are trying to find some advantages on the margin. It's, it's game theory and it's a, it's a good game theory decision to have your best pitcher throwing in the game two. And the reason why that is, is game two is really the most pivotal game of a three game series because you, regardless of the results of game one, game two is the most important of the first two games. Right. You have, if you win game one, game two then becomes more important because you could avoid the risk of elimination altogether. So you could, you could have, you could avoid any sort of risk of being eliminated in the first round by winning the first, I mean the, uh, the first game and then the second game. But you could also, if you lose game one, then game two is your season's on the line. You want your best pitcher throwing. So really the decision of having your best pitcher throwing game two is a, a really a, a economical situation of game theory. And I think that the blue Jays, there's a couple other teams that are doing this as well, where they're throwing their best pitcher in that second game. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting. No. Oh, yeah. And then it totally, if, if, if the blue Jays do pull the surprise win on game two, it, it gives you that momentum swing into game three. And mm-hmm. I mean, anything could happen in a, in, in a, in a game three or like a game, exactly. game five, game seven type exactly. series. So really that game two for me is just the, the swing, the ultimate swing game, because right. if you lose game one and then you have your best pitcher throwing game two and you win, then you have all the momentum going into game three and, game, right. and, and, and in an elimination games like game sevens or game three in this situation, really you, anything could happen. Either team could win. So even if the blue, if the blue Jays were to force a game three, the possibility of, of them winning is I like, I mean, it's better than if they were to, than, than it is when they come into game one, you know what I mean? Like if they get to a game three, the percentage likelihood of them winning the series is higher. Right. So the Ra- the Rays are deaf. They're playing right now, but I think it's, I think it's like approaching the later innings, but 
I think they're up 3-0 right now, but I, I see them taking game one, obviously, and then we'll just see what game two has to has to offer. So yeah. All right, we'll let's see. talk about the game that's on right now. We both were, we're both watching a little bit of in the background, the Indians and the Yankees. This is a great series. I think this is the number one series in, in the AL. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I could see either of these two teams going to the World Series on the AL's behalf. I agree. Totally agree. I actually have the Indians going to the World Series. Yeah. So and then it, it could very well be the Yankees too. So right. It's yeah. Uh, and then we already saw, I mean, that this Yankee lineup, this is what you were worried about. Aaron Judge going deep in his first at bat. This is what you're worried about for the Indians. Because I mean that pitching staff is loaded, but I mean they got to Beaver early. And Beavers, it, it, no doubt the AL Cy Young of this on the season, and um, they already they already put up two runs on him. So it's um, I don't know the Yankees. I, this is two teams that are have been in the postseason a lot over the last few years, and so ne- neither team is unfamiliar with this situation. I think both they're both very prepared. I think this is going to be the most competitive series, if I had to guess. Yeah, I agree. And then with Bieber, it's 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 a weird season because the Yankees and Indians usually they'll face each other like twice. So like they'll probably play each other like six or eight games within a regular season, but in this season they haven't faced each other at all. So, um, with Bieber only pitching in AL central and NL central, he's exactly, he's only seen, yeah, he's, yeah, he's only, he's only seen like the same teams over and over, but with the Yankees coming in, it's either he's going to just, pretty much can pitch like a complete game or the Yankees can get to him, which we've already seen in the first inning with judge taking in the yard. So, yeah, um, I don't know how I feel about that where that's a good point where this year, a lot of people didn't realize that these, not every team played each other. So there's teams playing each other for the first time now in the postseason because the Western divisions were facing the Western division. Central was facing central Eastern facing Eastern. And so now we have a central division, uh, AL central Cleveland Indians facing an AL East New York Yankees. And this is the first time they're facing each other all year, which is really not something you see like ever in the post. Right. So they're really, I mean, Shane Bieber took a massive jump from 2019 to 2020. Oh yeah. This is the first time the Yankees have seen him all year. I mean, they already hung up two runs on him. So I'm encouraged by that result um, from the Yankees side, but you know, we both picked the Indians in our original recording of this, um, this podcast. And I think, I mean, I got to stick with my guns there because I just really, really trust that Indians rotation, but you're right. It's, it's, this is going to be a competitive one. Um, I mean, that Indians bullpen is the reason why I'm going with them. I mean, the Indians probably have the best bullpen in the AL Brad hand closing, uh, James Karinchik, Nick Whitgreen, Oliver Perez, the lefty specialist, man, that guy's been around block. Phil Matten's having a good year. Cal Quantrill coming from the San Diego Padres in that Clevenger deal. He's been a decent long relief guy for them. And then at Tristan McKenzie, the rookie, he's got nasty stuff. He was, he's getting moved to the bullpen too. So I just really like the Indians and, and the arms that they're going to be bringing out for, against the Yankees and good for the Yankees. They'll hop in on them early. So, I mean, like we said, this is going to be a competitive one. Yeah. This is the series. Is probably, I'm thinking it's probably going to go to game three. Uh, I hope it does. Cause yeah, after Cole, it's probably going to be, Tanaka, I would think. Mm-hmm. And then Tanaka, uh, a good postseason resume too. So not, right. to, not to be overlooked as, as a potential playoff ace because Yankees are going to be counting on him that way. Yeah. So the Indians pretty much have it in the bag in the rotation and bullpen that their offense just has to kind of like exactly. spark fire. They're gonna so. need, I mean, obviously they're already down too. So that offense, we're going to have to see if, if they could 
uh, put some runs up and, and support the pitching staff. Yeah, and we're definitely seeing playoff Cole. So right, Cole Cole's gonna he's gonna he's gonna bring the rain for sure for sure. All right, Twins Astros. Uh, they're in Minnesota. Um, this first game was a, a good one. I thought the twins squeaked, squeaked it out. Right? No, the, the Astros won it. <laughs> Did they? Just- yeah. Four to one. Yeah. It was uh top nine. Sergio Romo was pitching. He gave up two singles and then he gave up a walk, I think. And then he, he then he, uh, he got Reddick to pop up and then he walked Altuve. And then I think they took him out. Brantley came in, hit a double, something like that. Any, either way. I forgot that Sergio Romo was just going to be such an important piece of that bullpen. Right. And but, but, but the, the, the twins could have gone out of it. They, uh, it was two outs. Sergio Romo, uh, got a grounder to, uh, Polanco and then he threw it away. Well, he, it was a bad throw to second, but second baseman couldn't catch it. So the run scored, which is a bummer, but yeah. Well, Astros taking the one, nothing lead early. But- I don't know. I, I still, I still think this is another three game series. I, I like the twins. And I think that although it does hurt them, definitely. I mentioned to you, it, it hurts them a lot, that Josh Donaldson's not there because he does really that Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson duo is one of the best in the in best hitting duos in the league right now. Power sense. You know I mean? Those guys just bring the rain with, with Donaldson being literally the bringer of rain as his, as his right. handle. So <laughs> Uh, I just, I picked the twins as my world series team coming out of the AL. And I'm a little worried about that prediction early on here, um, especially with them losing the first game. And then with, like I said, Donaldson being out, but I don't know the twins putting together a great season. And like I said, one of those teams that like the Indians and the Yankees, that one of those teams that have been around the block here in the AL playoffs over the last few years that haven't been able to really make push through that final level of going to the, uh, the ALCS and then the World Series. So I don't know. I, I like Minnesota. I mean, none of us want to root for the Astros, really. No. Nah. Uh, but the Astros are a team to be worried about because the fact that their core has already won a World Series, their core pieces, and... I don't know. Give me the twins in that one, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm gritting, I'm gritting through my teeth as I say it. So. Right. Yeah. I, ha- I also have the twins. I have them making the ALCS. So I, I push them forward. Um, but with like, I think the twins have a really bad track record in the playoffs so far. Mm-hmm. I think they have like, after lost, I think after, I think they've lost two or three wild card games, like the single yeah, elimination games. Yeah. So it's, if this was a single elimination game. They would have lost. So. Yeah, so it's pretty rough for their playoff track record, but I'm I'm sure they can still pull it off. I'm, it's got to go to game three, obviously. Um, but the Astros are like, I mean, they've made it to the World Series. You know, they've won. I mean, we we can we can put forward the uh, the like the, the scandal that they had, but I mean, they still made it to the playoffs. They made it to the World Series and they won. So it's like they have that experience and they they they've been to the playoffs multiple times. So they have that like that drive and that push of how to get through. Here's the thing um, though, with the Astros is they, they threw their best pitcher today. Zach Grinke. Right. They don't really have another ACE like that. Verlander's gone. He's out. So right. they, they don't have the starting pitching that some of these other AL powerhouses do. Um, but I don't know. I, the Astros, like you said, the experience is there's something to be said about it, but another competitive matchup here with the twins and the, and the Astros. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. 
Yeah. But give me the twins. We both take the twins. All right. This is another one that could really go either way, man. These matchups are really close. So one that only one that I think we're both pretty certain about is Tampa Bay because the A's and the White Sox, man, I picked the A's in this one and the White Sox really gave it to them in that first game in Oakland. Uh, the White Sox bats look great. And they kind of crawled into this postseason, had a rough last week and a half or so in the regular season, crawling into this wild card matchup a little bit. But man, those bats came alive in game one. What do you, what, yeah, what's your take, what's your take I, on this matchup? Yeah, so I, I have the White Sox winning this one, but not advancing to the ALCS. But yeah, the, just watching G Little pitch and then Obreu, Grandal going yard. Um, and then also the young talent that they have uh, behind uh, those veterans. It's it, the White Sox are looking pretty, pretty spicy right now. So, uh, and then they have Keiko in game two. So that that's, I mean, I mean, I can see them. I can see them taking it tomorrow. Just yeah. like, just, it's just possible. pushing it forward. I just think that, man, the A's are a bad postseason team, man. They, <laughs> yeah, every man. year, man, they get it put together a good regular season <laughs> and they lose it in the postseason. Yeah, it's, it's rough. The rotation is pretty, I mean. This is dating back to like the early 2000s. I mean, like the Moneyball era. Like yeah. They lost, remember they lost in the ALCS against the Yankees? It, it, that was the whole Moneyball story. That was what yeah. was it's just like, I don't know. They, they haven't had success in the postseason in a long time. I just think this is, you're right. This is another, this is another dangerous situation for them. They're on the verge of elimination going into their next game. The White Sox lineup proved that that last week of the season was just a fluke and that they're here. They're here to, to put their names on this, this 2020 postseason. Yeah. And then missing Chapman too. They don't have Chapman. So Good point. that's a big, that's a big blow in the, the, de- the defensive and offensive side. Definitely, so. definitely. I mean, that guy Chapman was putting together a monster season too. Oh yeah. He got hurt. I think he had hip surgery. All right. That's the AL matchups. We both got Tampa Bay, uh, Cleveland over the Yankees twins over the Astros. You have the White Sox. I'm going to stick with the A's. I'm hoping for a three-game series, but you're right. I mean, those White Sox are pretty dangerous. All right, that's a wrap for the AL playoff predictions from Mikey and I. Let's finish off our conversation Mike and I had from Sunday. Yeah, man. I'm excited for a great postseason. It's interesting that they're playing in the bubbles. What do you think of that kind of situation? I mean, they're playing in Texas and Arlington and Houston and then San Diego and L.A., I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. Especially I mean, the, the, the NBA really just set the standard for these these things. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. At first, I didn't really get why they chose to do AL in the, in the West and then NL in Texas. But I guess it had to do with uh, just fields. Like they probably if, don't want home field advantages. Yeah, because the Padres would be playing at Peco, and that's like... Why give them that like advantage in a way? I guess there's no fans, but they're playing in their own field. So yeah, I, I think this bubble thing is very smart, especially with the whole COVID situation. Mm-hmm. Not only obviously is it great for the COVID pandemic, it's help, it help, will help prevent the risk the risk of spreading, but it also I think creates a electric kind of environment with all the teams all in one location. They're interacting with each other probably off off the field. Like I don't know, I just find it pretty. Interesting to see how when like we saw in the NBA already where being able to focus like close to 100% of your time to the sport you're playing almost lets you perfect it. Like these teams in the NBA, like the Lakers are perfecting their game right now. Like they've just been able to focus, focus, focus. LeBron, they clinched the finals yesterday, last night. 
LeBron was more focused than I had ever seen him. I mean, the triple double, and then you just have to sit on the court staring, ready for the finals. Like, all right, bring that, bring those assholes on. Like, right. I'm ready to go. You know, so man, it's just like I think that there's something to be said about athletes and taking out the outside noise and just zeroing in on the one task and it's winning the championship and I think that we're going to see some great postseason baseball because of that oh yeah yeah electricity is in the air yeah and it's needed because of the lack of fans right yes (laughs) I I don't know if they're going to allow fans in Arlington or Houston they might I feel like because they've been allowing I know in the NFL some arenas and stadiums have been allowing like small percentages of the fans like up to 25% or something like that right so I wonder if they'll allow fans in, in in those venues Mike, thanks for coming on today. One reason why I wanted to bring you on too, though, was not only to talk baseball. Was, dude, let me ask you about this. Uh, you um, you got a cool job with the Red Sox, and then you were going to be part of the grounds crew, right? And and uh, the, obviously the COVID pandemic kind of twisted that up. And, and my understanding is they're still trying to bring you. They said they'll bring you in next year, right? Yes. So tell me about this job. I want to hear about it because it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So it was kind of like. I don't know, just the way how I got the job and like how... Uh, Where'd you find it, the listing for Yeah, so well, the, so I just found it on, uh, so it's STMA, Sports Turf uh, Management Association. So okay, so is it specific to like like turf management stuff? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but the weird thing was, so I saw that post and I was like, oh, like, that would be cool. Like I'd apply and just go with it. Um, but before I applied, um, I went to uh, a turf bowl competition in Orlando, and this competition deals with, uh, it's a school competition, you compete against other schools, and uh, it's basically like a two hour test that you take multiple choice, there's ID questions, um, stuff like that, that involves general turf knowledge. So like types of turf, pests, uh, fertilization, irrigation, basic turf grass management all this like uh, knowledge that you just gather and you go to this test and you just take it and you compete uh, but the cool thing was was that it's during a golf convention so that's basically so it's this huge GCSAA golf convention and then they also have the turf bowl for like the students so that they can network and take the test so it's very uh, very good environment for is it a large community the turf management oh huge massive yeah. I mean well, yeah, golf is just mainly Obviously, like turf, golf so it's is, it's, yeah. it's massive. the the uh, The amount of people that are involved in turf, and you would just blow your mind because it's like, why would like? Yeah, some people don't think about it. No, yeah, I don't, yeah. But I mean, I, I find it pretty fascinating that the the plant science behind it all. I don't know. I, I was I was pumped for you to get to, to head out to Boston. I mean, I'd already been there. I mean, I lived there, obviously, and it's a, it's a great tech city, and I'm excited for you to experience it, and I'm looking forward to hearing your stories about it. But yeah, dude, the the turf the turf management field that you've been getting into has been pretty fascinating from just to, to observe. Right. And um, tell me about like what opportunities like are available for people trying to get into that stuff. So I know you're looking at trying to be part of maybe a grounds crew, but like what other opportunities can like people who are studying plant science or turf management, I mean besides golf and golf, managing golf courses, is that really kind of what they get into well i mean you can expand like so like yeah golf that's huge and then there's uh like if you want to do sports turf mm-hmm. um like artificial turf well no no just sports so turf is kind of just like um like yeah it's just a general term yeah it's not 
art, like there's artificial turf that's like the plastic stuff but then like turf is just in a general term of explaining like mm-hmm. different types of turf grass um but um yeah so like landscaping you can get into landscaping like ornament like ornamental um landscaping with turf you can get into like what i said sports turf so baseball soccer football uh golf um cricket or whatever involves turf yeah um but it's it's something you enjoy right i mean that's what that's the best part about it yeah i mean the the reason why i kind of wanted to get into it is because just obviously just being around baseball like it sounds very uh i don't know like i feel like baseball especially with you and, and zach and our entire family like we've been like involved with baseball and talk of baseball because of our grandfather so that it kind of just spurred my mind just poked at it and thinking like maybe i could just do this as a profession being involved with baseball and that was deciding just to do like sports turf management yeah so but yeah the crazy thing was is that i actually met uh, the senior director of grounds at for the red sox at that convention i was at um so it was very it was very eye-opening meeting him receiving his book that he wrote about himself and ptsd and just getting the chance to talk to him and then him mentioning the the uh the internship that they had at the red sox so i was like oh yeah i'm definitely gonna apply like i'm gonna read his book which, something has to be said about how awesome this networking these types of networking oh yeah 100 percent. Right? yeah it totally worked out because like i saw he was doing like a meet and greet and i was like oh my gosh like that's david meller like um i heard about him on section 10 he he was a guest on that on that podcast a while back and so i was like i have to meet this guy and so i did and bing bang boom like I applied and I got the job, so. Dude, bing, bang, boom. Dude, I love it. The Red Sox are, are getting a great a great grounds crew member in here. And I, I, I'm looking forward to, to I, yeah, hearing about it. I really, I really hope it works out uh, next season. So. Yeah. I like it, Mike. I'm proud of you, buddy. And I really enjoyed our podcast here. We're going to, before we wrap it up, I'm going to start, I'm starting a new segment here. And we're going to be calling it The Vicious Minute. All right. And it's similar. It's in the same vein as like in part of part of the interruption, the winner at the end who has the most points for making the best arguments ends up getting like a minute to discuss anything they want. And I'm, I'm offering my guests the opportunity to either when they come on, talk about anything they want for about a minute or so, just anything they're passionate about, anything they're interested in, anything, literally anything they, they want. But Mike and I are also talking about they want to, they don't want to discuss their own topic what we're going to be doing is we'll do some flash trivia all right and so mike and i are going to do some flash trivia today and mike i pulled up some trivia for the dodgers all right and let's see how you know how well you know your own team all right and some of these some of these uh questions i was looking at are a little bit challenging and i'm gonna i'm gonna throw them at i'm gonna throw them at you and, and you're gonna let me know whether or not you get it i'm gonna give you 10 all right we're gonna test here here all right i'm gonna give you a 10 we'll give you a score of 10 at the end and we'll see how many you get all right you ready i'm ready all right first question which dodger was the youngest player ever elected to the baseball hall of fame let me give you answers there's four answers okay. four choices peewee reese duke schneider sandy koufax jackie robinson I have no knowledge of this, but uh, it's just a total, a total guess, but I'm going with uh, Duke Schneider. That was wrong. Can you hear that? <laughs> yeah, I can't. Sorry. 
You buzzing me? Yeah. Sorry. I, I picked Duke Schneider too. That's what I thought it was. Uh, no, yeah. it's not Duke Schneider. Sandy Koufax. Koufax career peaked with a run of six outstanding years from 1961 to 1966 before arthritis left his left elbow and his left elbow ended his career prematurely at age 30. He was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972 at the age of 36. I didn't know he was that young. Next question. Who did the Dodgers defeat to win their first World Series? The Baltimore Orioles, Chicago White Sox, Minnesota Twins, or New York Yankees? The Yankees. That is correct. In 1955, the world, the 1955 World Series matched the Brooklyn Dodgers against the New York Yankees, with the Dodgers winning the series in seven games to capture their first World Series championship. Way to go, Mike. You're one for two. You're on the board here. Let's see if you get the next one. Easy. <laughs> All right. The Dodgers were the first MLB team to allow a female sports journalist into the locker room. Who was that journalist? Anita Martini, Gail Gardner, Lisa Guerrero, Melissa Ludke. <laughs> what was the third name? Lisa Guerrero. Guerrero. I'm going with that one. Lisa Guerrero? With her. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's Anita Martini. Late in 1974 baseball, late in the 1974 baseball season, after the Los Angeles Dodgers defeated the Houston Astros to win the National League pennant, Anita Martini lined up with the male reporters to enter the Dodgers locker room. Predictably, she was refused access, but she asked to speak with Dodgers manager Walter Alston, who allowed her to enter. Martini conducted interviews that day with Alston and with Dodgers player Steve Garvey and Jimmy Wynn. 1974. It's a while back. It's not bad. Dodgers one of the That's first awesome. teams. To do that. One of the first teams? More than oh. Yeah. All right. Next question. How many World Series did the Dodgers lose before winning their first championship? Options are one, three, seven, or five. I am gonna go with three. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the answer to this either. It's five. <laughs> the Brooklyn Dodgers lost to the New York Yankees five times, 1941, 47, 49, 52, and 53, before finally winning the World Series in 1955. That's an interesting one. All right, Mike, we're one for four. Up to a rough start here. Some tough questions, right? I like it, though. All right. Which Dodger pitcher went straight to the major leagues? Clayton Kershaw, Darren Dreifert, Fernando Valenzuela or Oral Hershiser? I'm going to say, who was the second name? Darren Dreifert. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to go with Oral. Oral Hershiser. Darren Dreifert. Oh my gosh. I should. Darren Dreifert. After being drafted second overall, only behind Alex Rodriguez in 1993 Major League Baseball, in the 1993 Major League Baseball draft, Dreifert became one of only a few select players to make his professional debut in the majors. He made his first appearance on April 7th, 1994 against the Florida Marlins, working one scoreless inning as a relief pitcher. One out of five. It's all right. It's the tough questions. I'm picking some challenging ones. Some of these are easy ones. All right, let's get you some. Let's get you some on the board here. Which position did Pee Wee Reese play primarily? 
Second base. Ah. Really? Shortstop? No! <laughs> Pee Wee Reese was uh. a home run threat in an era where shortstops seldom hit home runs. He amassed 252 stolen bases in a period where steals were not an integral part of the game. Defensively, he was an outstanding gloveman, leading nationally shortstops for four times in putouts and ranking in the top 10 all-time in putouts and double plays. Pee Wee Reese is shortstop. Trying to help you out there, man. But that means... <laughs> so Jackie Robinson... Because he took... I thought Jackie, Jackie was, was second baseman. Yeah. Oh. Ah. Jackie was the second baseman. Gosh. That's rough. It's all right. It's all right. We'll recover from this. We're, we're one for five, right? No, uh, one for six. One for six? Be. Yeah. All right. Let's get, you, let's get you some on the board here. Which former Red Sox player w- wore the number 99 for the Dodgers in 2009? Oh, uh, Manny Ramirez. All right, buddy. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> Manny Ramirez, although he began the 2009 season with a 50-game suspension, Manny banged, still banged out 102 hits, including 19 home runs. Man, Manny Wood was fun. I remember those days. All right. Which pitcher was known for his distinctive tornado pitching windup and delivery? Takashi Saito, Don Drysdale, Hideo Nomo, or Don Sutton? Tornado windup. Pitch tornado pitching wind up and delivery. Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Heidi Onomo. Let's go. All right, we got him on the board. Three for eight. Yes, three for eight. Mike, although not the first Japanese person to play baseball professionally in the U.S., Nomo is often credited with opening the door for Japanese players in the MLB due to his star status. He played great for the Dodgers. That was a fun pitcher to play. I remember him early on when I was watching the Dodgers. I think he he won the National Rookie of the Year award. And my dad was pissed. uh, He did. I remember that. I think Chipper was second. Oh, he loved Chip? Yeah. My dad was a Braves fan. All right, buddy. Let's go into these last two questions here. We're we're sitting at three and eight, three of eight. Not terrible. I'm sure some of these questions most of these people wouldn't be getting. So let's try to get you some on the board here. Let's try to get you to finish five and ten. Five and ten. All right. Which Dodger player was signed illegally? Julio Arias, Joe Nuxhall, Gavin Lux, or Adrian Beltre? All right, it's not Lux. Uh, illegally. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Julio Urias. No, uh, I thought it was Urias too. I was gonna go with him. It's Beltre. That was my second pick. Jeez, uh, Beltre. Before putting stricter oversight in place, MLB investigated the Dodgers for for signing Dominican-born Adrian Beltre at age 15, a year earlier than he was eligible. You know, Urias was signed at 16. 16. So. <laughs> <laughs> they learned what they did from Beltre and applied it to the side of a year later. That's all right, buddy. You got that one close. I, I was thinking Arias to um, Beltre with my second pick. So three of nine, Mike. Let's get you on the. Let's get you a fourth point here. Which Dodger holds the team record for career stolen bases? Davey Lopes, Maury Wills, Juan Pri- Juan Pierre, or Eric Young? Davey Lopes, Maury Wills. Juan Pierre for Eric Young. Oh, man. I'm going to go Davey Lopes. <laughs> it's Maury Wills. Maury Wills threw 490 bases as a Dodger and is credited with re- with reviving the stolen base as part of baseball strategy. Maury Wills was exciting. We, um, My dad, 
my brother and grandpa and I all met Maury Willis at a Dodger spring training game once. We took a picture with him. He's a great guy. Ended up speaking with my with grandpa for a while. I mean, you can imagine grandpa oh, talking to an old baseball mind. Right. Maury Willis was like happy to talk. I mean, he was he was awesome. All right, dude, let me give you a bonus question. Give you an opportunity here. I like this Clayton Kershaw one. All right. How long did it take Clayton Kershaw to work his way through the Dodgers farm system? Two years, three years. He went straight to the majors or one year. I'm going to say one. All right. We got Michael Point. <laughs> after, after being drafted seventh overall in 2006 MLB draft, Kershaw worked his way through the Dodgers farm system in just one full season reaching the majors at just 20 years old and debuting in 2008 as the youngest player in Major League Baseball, the title title he held for one full year. Mike, we got you point four for 11. I'll give you the bonus point. So four for 10. We'll we'll take off a question. Four for 10, Mike. You got four points here in the Vicious Minute Trivia Hour. Mike, thanks for coming on today, buddy. Uh, Appreciate you coming on Vicious Talk with Benny P. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, buddy.